0: welcome to the duke and duchess podcast welcome i'm chad i'm liz and we are in episode 47 where we are going to be covering paper girls trade paperback volume number three
1: Right. This is a book by Brian K. Vaughn, Cliff Chang, Matt Wilson, and Jared Fletcher.
0: That is correct. And the timing of this episode couldn't be better. By the time this episode gets on to your favorite podcatcher app, Trade Paperback Volume 4 will have just been released. So if you haven't picked it up yet, and we haven't, (laughs) go out there and get it. Because this has really been a good series so far.
1: It's been fantastic. I am liking it more and more with every volume. What was your overall impression of this volume?
0: So first things first, best cover yet.
1: It's a great cover. Yeah. The cover is what looks like a space lady with a mohawk holding a ray gun looking thing and an Amazon looking chick with a baby holding a bow and arrow. That's right. It's fantastic.
0: And I think this has been my favorite one so far. I would agree. Yeah, this has definitely been my favorite one so far. For me, it would be one, so it would be this one, then one, then two. I like two two as well, don't get me wrong. right? But this has been my favorite one.
1: It's been fantastic.
0: So I would say spoiler policy, but there's really nothing to spoil. Now, what I will highlight is that the individual comic books for trade Paperback 4 are all out so you could go get them that's just not how we prefer to read them so the information is out there uh, in terms of what happens in some of these other uh, uh, episodes, editions but we haven't read it. So If you
1: see us in the grocery store,
0: don't tell us don't tell us. Yeah, we haven't read it so it'll be spoiler free as far as we're concerned because we don't know. So this is a fun one for those of you who don't listen to our normal podcast. If you're catching this and you haven't listened to King Killer or Lies of Laclamour, this is a cool situation for us because generally the way we do things is that Liz has read all of this stuff ahead of time and I have not. So one of us knows and the other doesn't know and I get to play the dummy. And that can be fun, but here we are on equal footing. We are. So this is an interesting place for us to be. So I had to make
1: predictions at the end. Yes. Very interesting. Yes, yes. And I rocked one of those predictions.
0: Yes, you did. Absolutely. So let's, uh, you ready to jump into it? I'm ready. Paper Girls number 11 starts off with KJ's dream. Okay. And we start off with... Somebody throwing something at KJ, and she has this short conflict with the girls who were on her field hockey team who are saying anti-Semitic things to her on uh, while they're trying to play field hockey. In the middle of this vision, her bubs, her grandmother, shows up to stop her from attacking them, and then her sleeve slips down, and we see this number, 117706, tattooed on her arm. But KJ says that's not, quote, her number. So at this point, we don't know what it is. The girls on the playground turn into zombies. They spit a torrent of blood at KJ, and she is drowning and saying that somebody's not moving, not breathing. We find out later that's her cousin who she watched drown when she was a young child That she's, that is being referenced.
1: Right. So we really get our first major insight into KJ.
0: Yeah, correct. Mm -hmm. And
1: get a look inside of her brain a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so we see that obviously she's been mistreated in the past. If we can take this dream as any indication of her subconscious. uh, She's been mistreated due to her race in the past. Mm -hmm. Her grandmother was a Holocaust survivor. And watching her cousin drown was a very formative event in her life.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So she wakes up and... Aaron is awake as well.
0: But I have a question before we oh, sure. get beyond that. What the hell do they throw at her?
1: It looks like a ball of mud.
0: Was it a can kin- I thought it was a caniche maybe. I don't.
1: Do they have a knish handy at field hockey practice? I, I don't
0: know. I don't even know what a knish is. <clears throat> it's
1: a brown looking ball. Yeah, a caniche is a pa- potato dumpling.
0: That's kind of what. Okay. That's, all right.
1: It's not a knish. It looks like a ball of mud or
0: rotten fruit. That bothered me. <laughs> that I couldn't identify what it was.
1: It looks like a giant butthole, honestly.
0: I thought it was look like Look at it. A r- no. Open
1: your book and look at it, everyone. <laughs> Tell us on Twitter.
0: Tell us on Twitter what Does you Does it th- look
1: like a giant butthole? Uh, what do you or think? Or a knish? What? <laughs> because Chad says kanish. I say butthole.
0: <laughs> I don't... I don't know. <laughs> I'm not going to pretend it's a matzo ball. I'm just throwing Jewish sounding words around. I don't know. I don't know.
1: So one thing I noticed that's very interesting is that the zombies in the dream speak the same
0: Asian looking
1: language as the teenagers.
0: Yeah. The character symbols kind of language. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah. And their faces don't look like sort of the techno zombies. Is it
1: a rotten apple? Ooh, Ooh. we've seen a lot of apple imagery throughout. Makes sense, especially in the first book. Didn't see as much in the second, but if it was a rotten apple, that would be interesting. And
0: you know, we don't see much apple. It wasn't very much in this in this one at all in this trade paperback.
1: Let's start looking for rotten apples. Ooh, okay. All right. So I think it's significant, too, what her grandmother says in the dream. You know, just as KJ is about to jump these anti-Semitic girls and her grandmother floats down from the sky, she tells her to save her hate for the real monsters. And she said, the worst is behind you. Right behind you. Right
0: behind you, yeah. And actually, I misquoted the number Uh, The number is 11706. Yeah, I was going to say that too. Yeah, which we find out later what that's in reference to.
1: Right. So...
0: So now we have the campsite scene? Now we're at the campsite. Okay, so during the campsite, so here's where KJ sort of wakes up. Uh, They're still underneath of that same mountain that we saw from the last episode. Uh, Mac has gone off on her own, and she gets attacked by cave girl Erin. Cave girl Aaron. It's did, not
1: really Aaron.
0: It looks like Aaron, though.
1: It does. It's confusing, but I don't think she's meant to.
0: I thought she was, except they don't really. They don't really. You know, I think See, you're right. When yeah. we
1: saw the clone Aaron before the other characters We're mentioned, like, they're like, oh, it's, you know, look just like our friend. Yeah. I think. I don't think she's meant to actually be a clone. I think she just. I think you're right. Has similar hair color and everything.
0: Mm, Yep. I think you're right. So, uh, this cave girl has her own baby and she's also, I did not pick this up at first. I had to, uh, I think it took me towards the end of the first reading to be like, Oh, wait a minute. She's got like cell phone parts and chip boards all hanging off of her. Um, so all these different elements from the future technology that she's made into jewelry. There's a thumb drive, uh, and then her face paint, is also uh, reminiscent of electronic signals that you would put in electronic schematic. Mm-hmm. I tried to look those things up and figure out if there was some specific relevance that could you could figure out. The mm. one squiggly line symbol is the symbol for a, a resistor, mm-hmm. but the two sort of circles joined together, I couldn't find anything. You know, I thought maybe there might be some clue there, but I couldn't figure it out. But um, they are all attacked by this giant anteater, which ends up knocking Mac into the river. KJ dives in after her, and they float away down the river.
1: A couple things that stood out to me in this section is, one, when the girls are talking about where did Mac go, and they're talking about, oh, we shouldn't have let her go off alone, there's a very, like, 12 year old girl kind of human moment here where they're talking about why did you we, we said we would never split up again and Erin says kind of meekly and shyly I offered to go with her but she said she wanted to be alone and then she goes I think she had to go number
2: two yeah.
1: And it's just like such a 12-year-old girl thing. You know, these girls have been kind of acting like adults in an adult sort of situation, jumping through space-time portals and building their own fire. Somehow they built a campfire. I guess Mac probably has a lighter, but they've been kind of handling this, but mm-hmm. they're still squeamish about talking about poop.
0: Well, and it, it also has a good transition because in the very next frame, you see Mac saying, shit.
1: It's <laughs> a good catch. I like that. Yeah, Mac is saying shit because she is down to her last cigarette Yeah, and trying to decide what she should do with that. And again, we see the juxtaposition of this young girl who acts much older than her age.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And a girl the same age who
1: is an adult for her time. Yeah. So the other thing I think that's important here is, is so Mac is there. She's contemplating this cigarette. This Amazon-looking chick comes up behind her, points a bow and arrow at her what they they're talking back and forth but in different languages and then we see a red shooting star fall from the sky Mm, yep that is what distracts them both and at that point mac jumps the bow and arrow girl bow and arrow girl and her tussle and they realize that she's got a baby strapped to her back
0: yeah they the girls come up to try to save mac and mac is like hit her hit her and they're like uh uh we we can't dude she's got a baby strapped to her back you know and at here's we're, this, at this other point, 12 year old girl who's a mom
1: right And at this point we're unclear as to whether this girl is actually an enemy who's trying to attack them yeah it looks like she might just be trying to defend her baby and then it becomes immaterial because they're attacked by a giant sloth yeah like a oh,
0: sloth sl- that makes more sense it's not an anteater no it it's looks more sloth. like a sloth okay to yeah really. Makes sense.
1: And yes, like you said, at that point, Mac falls in and KJ goes after her. End scene.
0: End scene, yes. Because KJ is not going to let anybody else drown. That's
1: right. That's right. Okay. I just love how like that built and that narrative, and we learned that about her cousin. And then this, I don't know. It's just cool. It's just good storytelling. Good, story, good story, everyone. Good storytelling. Good story.
0: So the next scene we get here in Paper Girls number 11 is. Dr. Quanta Bronstein, this is the star that we saw, the comet that we saw burning in the sky, is actually a crashed space pod uh, that lands not too far from the campsite. And again, it's Dr. Quanta Bronstein. And we learn as she pops out and she's sort of, you know, speaking into her Apple device and saying, take notes, Starlog. And we find out that this is the year Eleven thousand seven hundred six BCE, which is where the same number that Bubs had tattooed on her arm.
2: Oh.
0: Now, I guess that creates a question for me—one mm-hmm. that I don't want to spend a lot of time going into because I don't think it's all that important. But does that—is that dream representative of what? KJ was able to absorb and is her seeing that number representative that she somehow knows things she shouldn't know or is it more for just the readers?
1: I think that we are going, no, I don't think it's just for the readers. I think everything in this story has been crafted very deliberately and with a narrative purpose in mind. So I think that we are going to find out, that we don't know the full implications of what changes happened to the girls when they were zapped by the time pod mm-hmm. in the beginning of book 1. We already know that basically when that happened their DNA was how did they put it?
0: I don't know, they were somehow immune to It
1: was encrypted. Uh, there their you DNA, go. Yep. that's the word they use, encrypted. Their DNA couldn't be hacked whatever that means by the old timers so yeah. somehow they they were changed on like a cellular level yeah and we don't really know exactly so for them to have like a prescient dream and certainly we saw aaron have dreams when she was shot in the first book that in indicated some kind of
0: they did appear to be prescient in some way right yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: so yeah i think that that's we're going to find more and more that they're going to have some sort of Knowledge or understanding that they don't quite understand themselves.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yes. The, this opens with this space pod, and it shows us a sensor saying, you know, that there's no radiation, there's atmosphere. You know, and out comes this lady with a glorious red mohawk.
0: Yes, it's it's a it's amazing.
1: And I I like that her Apple device. She calls it I, sir.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: and she tells us that she is the woman who invented time travel. So she's recording this record for the log. She says the year that she's at. This is her target date. She's very excited. She's the woman who invented time travel, and I believe that is the end of
0: uh, that first. This one. first book, absolutely. Yep, Paper Girls number twelve. We start off at the campsite, and the cave girl, whose name we don't know yet, but whose name is Wari, shoots and kills this giant sloth, uh, then passes out and collapses. And they catch her. And then Aaron and Tiff get the idea to put the translator on Wari.
1: That is a good idea. I wanted to mention as well that there is a page between, at least in the trade paperback, between one and two with, it's light purple with a single dot. And then at the end of the next one, it has two dots. Hmm. And then three dots.
0: I did not so pick between up between
1: each one. There's a, I think they had quotes in some of the previous books between.
0: There were there were the various um, issues, sort of monochromatic uh, drawings in in right. the other ones.
1: Four dots. Yeah. So, so between this is a each one, one, there's change, like a yeah. pattern of dots. Hmm. Okay. Take and from you, that what you will. I take nothing
0: from it because I am not a taker, Liz. <laughs> I'm a giver. Of what, I don't know. How are
1: you at climbing rope?
0: Not well, not good. <laughs> Listen, I've gained a lot of weight since gym class. <laughs> since ninth grade gym class, the last time I had to climb a rope.
1: <laughs> so, yes. Well, I think what stuck out to me in this one was as Worry is fading, uh, fainting, the girls grab the baby.
0: Yeah. Aaron has, seems to have a, a good sense of how to deal with babies. Mm-hmm innately i wonder if it's because she has a younger sister into a much younger sister right so that might be part of it but she just has a good sense of kind of how to handle babies and i don't think the other any of the other girls have a younger sibling at least not that we know of
1: right Uh, one another thing i liked from this is um that aaron when Wari faints aaron says I think she fainted. Women in olden times did it, like, all the time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, so the next scene we have is downriver where K.J. pulls Mac out of the water. Mac is turning blue, but K.J. manages to revive her by giving her CPR, mouth-to-mouth specifically, and Mac wakes up but is predictably... Weirded out by the fact that her friend is giving her mouth to mouth and then she insults and then attempts to drive KJ away.
1: Right. But that doesn't last very long because a giant haroo comes from the woods behind them and then there's not really time for any more assholery on Mac's part.
0: No. And she yeah, she's definitely an asshole there. Any other comments on that section?
1: No, I just think, I mean, I think you put it really well. You know, Mac is uncomfortable, made uncomfortable by KJ. She's uncomfortable being vulnerable. And she right away does not like being saved. Um, She kind of puts a low blow out there, uh, bringing up the fact that KJ's Jewish and making a little dig about a Jewish kid going to lecture me about Christmas.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Um,
1: You know, it's, so yeah, that's just, you put it well.
0: Yeah, she's just trying to drive her away. So now we're gonna, we kind of go back to the campsite. And here at the campsite, it's the next morning. The translator necklace is working, so Wari is able to talk to the girls, and she explains to them about the dream women who come to her in her dreams, and they told her to follow the comet, the comet being the ship that crashed. They also said that she had to steal something from the three men, and Wari thinks that Aaron and Tiff are... The dream women.
1: Whatever that means.
0: Whatever that means. Correct. Yeah.
1: This scene is funny because when Wari wakes up, she says, what the holy fuck?
0: Yeah. The first words <laughs> out of her freshly translated language.
1: And Aaron and Tiff say, it works a little too well.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they've really done well at perfecting the translation.
1: So Wari tells the girls that there are women who bother her in her sleep that started talking when she became pregnant with her son, whose name is Joppo. And we find it out reminds that Reminds the-
0: me of one of, the, of one of the calls. Call Joppo. Call Drogo. Call Pono. Oh, call Joppo. Call Joppo.
1: <laughs> Maybe he is. Call 1-800-967. Know.
0: Call Japo, and you'll be in heaven I don't. Know.
1: <laughs> yeah, cancel that. <laughs> okay. Thank you. So one other significant thing is that Wari calls this place that they're at Stony Stream.
2: Yeah, <laughs> which is the
1: name of Aaron's neighborhood. Like, so you
0: still call it Stony Stream.
1: Yeah. And again, we like know that they're not really traveling in space so much as time. So yeah, that's kind of cool.
0: Yeah, which is where I got really confused. I was like, well, it can't be Aaron because Aaron's Asian. And they're in the U.S. So, right. anyway.
1: So, Tiff also mentions that the whole story is feeling a little Bethlehem. Because yeah. they're going to find, get something from three three wise men. But Wari tells them that the three men are not wise. They're murderers and savages. And that if, if they had friends that are out somewhere near them where the three men are, they're already
0: dead. They're already dead. And... Then we move on to our next scene, which is Doctor B at the crash site, and she's pontificating, admiring scat, when she's attacked by the quote three men. So we get to see the three men for the first time, and they have the they're just completely covered in mud, but they have these symbols painted in their, into their chests, and they're three kind of these modern symbols, and the symbols are play, stop. And Power from, like, Apple's kind of typical icons that they have on their iPods and things like that.
1: I didn't catch that, the three symbols. I mean, it's very obvious, but I didn't, like, really look at what they were. Cool.
0: And the one who is Power is the alpha male. Obviously.
1: Yeah, I think that it's interesting to see this doctor coming in. And right away, she's thrown off because she's walking along and she's all excited and she's narrating a letter to what seems like her sister
0: yeah, mm-hmm. and
1: kind of just going on. And then, but right away, she realizes that she sees some scat that she realizes can not have come from a wolf, looks suspiciously human.
0: <laughs> because it is.
1: And right away, she says, <laughs> hey, you know, I, sir, where's the drone? And have we confirmed that this area is uninhabited? And yeah. her, her drone is like, uh... We don't have the proper software update and basically no, you're fucked.
0: Well, and I think at that point, it attempts to start reaching out to get a software update. But obviously, she's 11,000 BC. She's not able to get a signal. And so the software starts malfunctioning.
1: All right. And so it says, this software has not been updated in 13,761 years. (laughs) And that's when she is attacked by... Cave people.
0: Yes. Yeah. Now we're kind of come back down river, back to where we began this one, which is back with uh, Mac and KJ. And they are trying to decide to go, uh, excuse me, they're trying to decide what to do. Do they go to this crash site or do they try to go back and find Aaron and Tiff when KJ gets her period?
1: So again a awkward. very very human preteen girl moment in the middle of this very adult situation that the girls are faced with. Yeah. And the, one of the major themes of this book that we've talked about is adolescence, the transition from child to adolescent. So I don't think it's a mistake that this happened here. I think it's oh, going no, to be significant no. at some point. Yeah, absolutely. We know that the the old timers versus teenagers differentiate between children and teenagers and adults. So at some point, I think it's going to become significant.
0: Well, and, and yeah, and I think we've highlighted before, and I think it, it holds true here, that it's not insignificant that they are sort of at that perfect spot that's between teen and child. Anything else in Paper Girls 12? Nope. Okay. So moving on to Paper Girls number 13, we begin with the Cave Girl crew who are on the move. So we've got Tiff, Aaron, and Wari, and Joppo, and they're all hoping to go looking for KJ and Mac. And then they stumble upon a magical shithole, which is Wari, Cave Girl's uh, name for the little portals that... That keep popping up in this place and we get a sense now that this is where there are little holes sort of in the uh, time space continuum here and parts and things from the future are dropping into this world and that's how they're getting the that's how the cave the three men are getting the symbols that they painted on their chest that's how Wari is getting the thumb drive and the cell phone and the different things like that as well. And then Aaron says that there's something she has to do before they can before they can leave. And then she you can see her taking out the field hockey stick and writing the message on it.
1: Oh, so it was her all along. Yeah. So if you remember in Paper Girls One It was two. Two. Yeah. She and the older version of herself are following a map to what's something called the first folding where a field hockey stick with a message carved into it pops out of a hole in a mall. Yeah. So we now realize that the foldings are these wrinkles in time and space. They're
0: magical shitholes.
1: They're magical shitholes.
0: And then Aaron comes away from that magical shithole and she says, nobody go into that shithole for a good 35, 45 <laughs> minutes. <laughs>
1: So one thing I liked about this is this part opens up with Aaron kind of making Joppo giggle and, and playing with him. Mm-hmm. And she say, ask, asks Worry, is having a baby the most awesome thing in the world? And Worry <laughs> says, it is painful and terrifying. <laughs> I love Worry. Damn straight it is. <laughs> That's a good description. That's right.
0: Yeah. Listen, as somebody who has never given birth to a child, it was painful and terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> Next we have Mac and KJ. These they are also on the move. They are f- uh, going to find the ship and they do stumble upon the ship that Dr. B used to get here. KJ starts to climb up into the ship to inspect it. All the while Mac keeps quizzing her about her period we find out that Mac's parents would not allow her to take sex ed or teach her anything about a, how her human body works because that's not proper for late ladies. And then KJ finds these cool boots and spots a bunch of weird fairy things being uh, floating in the sky nearby, and then they head off in that direction.
1: Right, so it's interesting. This pod is looks very much the same kind of fleshy technology as we've seen the teenagers traveling in uh, other future technologies Mm -hmm. it kind of has like looks like ligaments coming out of it um it's sort of a, a biological technology i thought it was interesting that mac who is totally squigged out but fascinated by kj having her period yeah in the middle of kind of delicately asking her about it goes oh and You know, she says, you know, I was I was always told it was unladylike to talk about bodies. Speaking of which, did you find any dead ones in there? Yeah. yeah. Like (laughs) no problem talking about corpses.
0: Yeah. Well, which I think is sort of a poke at, you know, American morality that like Mm -hmm. we don't we don't like to talk about sex, but we'll show as much violence as we want to.
1: Yeah. And I think that's a really good point.
0: All right, so now we have uh, Dr. B and the three men. So we get back to what happened to Dr. B, and she wakes up finding herself hanging upside down, suspended from a tree, with the three men sleeping nearby. She can also see that there's a folding nearby her head. She expects that these men are going to kill her. They pull out a translator chip, and they ask, where is our son? And, of course, she has no clue what the hell they're talking about.
1: Right so I think it's interesting that Dr B wakes up she's hanging upside down and these three men are kind of sleeping underneath of her and she tells I sir to record an unencrypted message and her the program says you know this is the mission parameters are and she's like override and then she's quietly she puts out this message there saying you know This is Dr. Bronstein, and in the year 2055, I will attempt to pierce the fourth dimension and emerge in our late Pleistocene area, but it is vitally important that this attempt never be attempt, that this experiment never be attempted. And then she, you know, goes on to say, you know, there are people here and they're wearing space helmets and everything is terrible. You've got to try and stop me if you find this.
0: So the next scene we get back to... Warri and Aaron and Tiff, and actually this is where Aaron takes out her knife and writes the uh, message, sticks it in the hole. I- I'm curious on what impact you think, that, what impact does this have on the way you're thinking about the story now, now that you know that Aaron is the one who left Aaron her own message telling her to, you know, beware the clone and get to the fourth folding. Well, I what think, did the stick say again?
1: Well, first it said, don't trust the other Aaron. And then it said, get to the fourth folding now. Yeah. So I think it's very interesting because it's exploring kind of a classic time travel quandary. Yeah. Which is the, the idea of a temporal loop and can you really change anything? You know, if you go back in the past and change something then your reason if it never happens you never would have had a reason to go back into the past to change it yeah so when dr b is kind of doing her unencrypted message she says please if you're listening to this you must stop me my team will argue that the launch has to happen because it already did but i'm praying there's still a way to stop it so i think it's called the grandfather paradox where they talk about can you really go back in time and kill your own grandfather or is it impossible to really change anything in the past? Yeah. So, you know, are there, are the girls, do the girls even really have free will at this point? Because we know that it's going to cycle back to them ending up where they did. Uh, we don't, so I, I just think that's going to be an interesting exploration of that concept. Yeah. And
0: I, and I've never really been super into time travel stories. So, like, I don't, I'm not super well versed in what the different, you know, paradoxes are. It's just not something I've ever really paid a lot of attention to. So, although they make perfect sense to me, I'm just wondering, couldn't Aaron have done a better job of since she was the one in the predicament trying to figure out which Aaron was the one she was talking about, but yet she's the one who left her that message? Couldn't have she have done a better job of writing a more clear message? Well,
1: and again, she doesn't have a whole lot of time. True. The the thing is closing and could close in minutes. And you can see each frame of this page, it's smaller and smaller. So I don't know that she has a whole lot of time when she realizes it to like, can I reword this? And and yes, it was a bit confusing until the clone Aaron showed up, but pretty quickly she figured it out. Mm, true. Even with yeah. the given message.
0: True. All right, so we're back uh, with Mac and KJ. One Oops, other sorry. thing,
1: it, they do address, you know, at this point while Aaron is is carving on the stick, Tiff is holding baby Japo, and she asks Aaron, you're pretty good with little kids. Are you disappointed that older you didn't have any? So Aaron kind of addresses that and says, not really, you know. Yeah, I like babysitting and I like babies, but... No, I don't don't really want to have kids. And I think she even told her older self that that she was glad that they didn't have kids. And we also learned that Tiff, um, who was adopted, that her birth mom was only 17 when she put her up for adoption. So she wasn't in a hurry. Mm-hmm. Um, and Wari tells them that is a mistake. Life is very short. It's foolish to not ready to have a replacement ready for whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. But yes, at this point, then they hear one of the men, I think, that interrupts that.
0: Yep. So now we're back with Mac and KJ, and they stumble upon this weird, floaty, upside-down pyramid. It's glowing with all these multiple colors and weird patterns, and it has these four weird flower shoots sort of leading out of it, and the, quote, fairies that KJ saw are spewing forth from this thing. And KJ foolishly goes up and touches it, and when she does she has this vision.
1: She has sort of a series of visions, I think.
0: Correct. Yeah, Um, there's a a number of frames and I've kind of broken down what's in each frame.
1: Well, let's just go back just for a minute because it's kind of a funny conversation that she and Mac have on the way up there. First of all, Mac can't let go of the whole period thing. She's like, so were there like maxi pads in that pod or something? Like (laughs) what's going on down there? And she's like, I have like, whatever, I'm using a handkerchief. It's, it's fine, you know? And then they start um, cracking on who's the weird one of the group. Yeah, yeah. Before, So that's just kind of, of charming. And I think also it's significant that when KJ does touch it, her pupils change shape. Yeah. When we saw the teenagers in the past, they had these triangular pupils. And as soon as KJ touches this thing, her pupils become triangular yeah, as well. It,
0: it is triangular.
1: It is triangular, so let's break us down. Let's talk about what the visions show.
0: All right. So there are a couple, of, a number of different frames. Mm-hmm. So the first frame is Doctor B with blood on her face, saying "Run." The next is we see Tiff standing in what looks like a snowstorm, closing her eyes and saying "No." In the next scene, we see uh, Gramps holding Aaron hostage, pointing a gun and saying, I'm so sorry, Aaron is crying. And then in the last scene, we see Mac and KJ standing on a roof. Sometime in the far future, Mac says, then I guess we do. And then they kiss.
1: Bam! Prediction. Nailed it. it was I looking over your shoulder when you got to this page? I feel like I was. Oh, I don't remember. I yeah. feel like I ran into the room and was like, bam! I think you did. Actually, and I think I, I gave you double finger guns.
0: I. You know what?
1: It was definitely a double I, finger gun moment.
0: I do seem to recall.
1: Because I remember walking. be feel like, oh, he's reading it. When he gets to that page, I'm going to give him the double finger guns. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I do seem to recall something like that.
1: It was that. so satisfying.
0: Good, I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad you could get to be on this side
1: For those who maybe missed our coverage of Paper Girls 1, I had to make predictions, which I'm not used to. And one of my predictions was that Mac would be gay uh, and possibly even KJ. I can't remember why I I said that, too. But I definitely said Mac was gay.
0: Yeah. You nailed it. I I thought it was interesting how that was sort of this very tender moment. But also, you can see that they're sort of awkward and guarded they're kind of like they have their hands where they're like they're kissing, but they're kind of like holding each other kind of back at the same time.
1: It's, it's obviously a an awkward first kiss, like a
0: 12-year-old
1: yeah. kiss.
0: My first kiss was so gross. What's <laughs> it? I don't know why anyone would ever want to do it again. It was not. There were no fireworks.
1: Oh, I'm sorry.
0: There was a lot of grossness. Some Aww. chapped lips.
1: Oh, I'm sorry.
0: Nothing special. <laughs> <laughs> so it was not as awkward as my first kiss. That's all I'm saying.
1: There weren't spaceships in the background.
0: No, no, <laughs> not at all. So anyway, moving on. Moving on. That's not why people came to this podcast. They don't want to hear about my awkward first kiss.
1: Maybe they do, but that's the other podcast. Oh,
0: that's right. we talk forgot. about that kind of stuff. Forgot about the other podcast. Okay. <laughs> All right, so Paper Girls number 14? Yes. So we start off with the Cave Girl crew again. So we have Wari, and she, this is, she is a badass. Yes, she is. She shoots and then cleans some sort of giant saber-toothed cat. Uh, says that her sacks are empty. And then KJ and Mac stumble upon them. They hear the sound of a woman crying in the distance, who is Dr. B, but we don't know it at the time. They don't know it at the time. Uh, Worry says, whoever it is will be killed by the three men, who, by the way, we find out, are Jaffo's fathers. And so this is like the weirdest version of twins you've ever seen. I make that connection because... In the movie Twins, the idea was that these guys had multiple fathers, one mother, multiple fathers. So my question is, is Jaffo the Arnold Schwarzenegger or the Danny DeVito?
1: Good question. I don't we know. might we, not find out.
0: We might not. Well, I, I feel like we're gonna find out. Uh War in the closing scene in this section, we see Wari walking away from the group. She's carrying her son in one hand. And has this dead saber-toothed tiger slung over her other shoulder. I'm like, this is badass.
1: So did we mention that at this point, Mac and KJ have rejoined
0: the group? Yeah, yeah. Everyone's back together. Everyone's back together. Uh, They haven't stumbled upon Dr. B yet. And Wari leaves. So it's kind of back to the original four girls.
1: Right, so Worry tells them that they, first of all, she is surprised that KJ has survived the untranslatable.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Whatever
1: name she has for it is not translatable. Or maybe she calls it that. I don't know.
0: I suspect not.
1: But, so, she's surprised about that, and she also tells them that, yeah, her, her son's fathers are going to kill whoever it was, and they're going to kill all of them, too.
0: So, uh, gets to walking.
1: And she also mentions that in her culture, the tradition is for a mother to give up her child to whichever father is determined to be the strongest. So I guess in that, you know, it's they don't necessarily know who the fathers are. Whoever's the strongest gets the baby. And she says, I think that tradition is fucking garbage. So she's not like keeping my baby. Oh, Papa, don't preach.
0: That's that's no. exactly what that song was about.
1: It, it actually was.
0: No. <laughs> All right. So now we get back to Doctor B
1: getting her mohawk burned off.
0: Oh, it's not good.
1: By a time space
0: shithole. That's right. So the three men they're about to shove her head into the magical shithole if she doesn't tell them where the boy is, which we uh, we think would end end bad. We think it would end with her not having a head, and then the girls stumble upon this scene. KJ runs off in an attempt to make a distraction, and then the girls grab Dr. B and cut her loose.
1: So what's interesting is that Dr. B is praying as her head is getting nearer and nearer to the hole, and she's she's asking God to forgive her, and she's saying that, "I, I told my loved ones, I never believed in you, but deep down I always have, and I knew that my creation was a sin, but I just really wanted to understand, you know, your creation. And so like, she is really like at a very vulnerable place and just pouring everything out before the girls then rescue her.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, she is also referred to as a dream woman by the three men. So that's just interesting that Mm -hmm. the, not only are the girls maybe seeing things in dreams that are coming from different times, but it seems like the inhabitants of this world are also having dreams of the girls or the, the visitors to their time as well.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. So in the next scene, we have KJ who is now running from the three men. What I find hilarious about this scene is she's being chased by three enormous cavemen who are, you know, we've been told over and over again they're going to kill her. But you can see in her face she is just totally preoccupied with why she would be kissing Mac.
1: Well, that's what, yeah, she's running. These monster, monstrous men are chasing her and she goes, I'm going to kiss Mac? Yeah. Like, <laughs> but before that, I think I, I want to talk too about Dr. B. You know, she's rescued by the girls. She asked them where they're from. You know, these three modern, four modern teenagers have yeah. showed up and they said you know, 1988 and she's, how long have you been here? And they said too long and they they run off and they're running for their lives and she just says to herself, I wasn't even the first.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so KJ's running, but she's preoccupied with why she would kiss Max. She comes up to a cliff and then using her groovy new cool boots, she jumps over the cliff and then when she gets on the other, so before she jumps the cliff, she says, I'm going to kiss a girl in question marks. And then she jumps, lands on the other side and then says, oh, that's why.
1: No, she says, why would I kiss a girl? Oh, why would I kiss a girl? Yeah.
0: And she jumps and says, oh, that's why.
1: But when she says it, there's a look of like triumph on her face. Do you say that like that's that was a confusing scene to you? I felt
0: like it was confusing.
1: No, I felt like like she's running, she's confused. She's like, oh my gosh, I've time traveled. I you know, just got my period. I just had a vision I'm going to kiss a girl. I'm running for my life from cavemen. What the heck is going on? Why am I going to kiss a girl? And then she does this miraculous thing where she leaps across a chasm mm-hmm. and she realizes that she's gay and she uh, I'll, I'll get, lands yeah. safely and goes, okay, that's why. But when she's got this like triumphant smile when she says it. So it's like she escapes from these. I think it's very significant that she's escaping S- from these men. Yeah. Yeah. Who are chasing her. God knows what they're going to do to her. She jumps over this chasm and when she, she takes a leap of faith and when she lands on the other side, she comes to the realization of what who she is.
0: Symbols.
1: It's a symbol.
0: I get symbols. <laughs>
1: I like it. It's a nice piece of storytelling. It is. It is. I like, it's such subtle character development here.
0: It's really well done. So the next scene, we're at the Wacky Pyramid. This is where uh, Dr. B explains uh, that this item comes from the fourth dimension. Also tells us that she was born in 2016. And they're having this little conversation. And, which by the way, is when this comic book was created oh, okay and right when they're having this is worry shows back up and she is missing both joppo and the translator
1: yes yeah, so as dr b is talking to the girls they show her the futuristic ipod that they have
0: no oh, yeah that's right Yeah, and yeah. she
1: is like what is going on how do you guys have something from the 21st century so she is just really out of her element and she tells them that the model that they have never made it to market because it gave people nightmares when they used it because of the brain interface was so powerful. Yeah. And Mac doesn't like being called you children.
0: <laughs> yeah. That, and that's been pretty consistent there. It's been several times that's happened. Now in the scene that we close this one with uh, paper girls, number 14, we see the three men And it's the three men, and they're holding the baby. And I'm like, how are they going to feed that baby? This is not good.
1: It's not good.
0: It's not good at all. So now we are in Paper Girls number 15, the last of the episodes for this trade paperback. It starts with uh, the girls, and we show... KJ shows up and she's bouncing on her super boots. Mac is pissed at her because of what she did. Mac then explains what happened and especially that the three men captured Joppo. Dr. B explains the butterfly effect. And then KJ says, wait a minute, I saw you in my vision. And then Dr. B says, if they're not back at the ship in two hours, the ship is going to leave without them. The girl's don't want to leave, and then Tiff comes up with a plan.
1: Right. So the interaction with Mac and KJ is interesting because KJ is coming back after just having made this realization about herself and gaining this confidence. And she's faced with Mac being kind of shitty to her because she was worried and she's mad about the stunt she pulled. And she says, what the hell were you thinking? And And they have a little moment where KJ says, I wasn't thinking. And then she gets real close to her and says, for once I just did what felt right. And they have like a look. Yeah. And then they get distracted by time travel and stuff. But they
0: travel should never stand in the way of lesbianism.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so another thing that's significant and we talk about like the paradoxes of time travel is Dr. B is very into not interfering with the past. Yeah. Now she has already like blasted someone with her blaster and, uh, Pretty much has basically interfered the fuck out of the past, yeah. but she's like, no, 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 like whatever. This girl's baby, you like, like we just have to let him go.
0: She has a very Doctor Who stance on interfering with the with the past.
1: It's if it's pot convenient, we don't it, interfere with the past. Exactly, yeah. No, we <laughs>
0: never, never, never interfere with you know the people in the times we jump to, unless it's interesting, in which case, <laughs> which case we do what we want.
1: However, they do have the very real time constraint of needing to get back to the capsule before it auto-returns. Yes. And we see that KJ, you know, Tiffany asks, well, says, well, maybe your visions aren't all right or are wrong. And KJ says, not all of them, though.
0: And then the girls don't want to leave if they have to leave Jaffo.
1: Right. So, yes, like you said, Tiff comes up with a pseudo-plan.
0: Yep, mm-hmm. And at this point, we don't know what that plan is. So in the next uh, scene, we have the three men, and they have Jaffa, and they put him on a rock. This looks to be... Did I miss something?
1: Yeah, we do know what the plan is.
0: Oh, it's where they talk about uh, the nightmare...
1: Right, so Tiff suggests at this point... I'm sorry, only because I have it right in front of me.
0: Oh, yeah, no um, problem.
1: Tiff, at this point, Tiff suggests that they use the... 21st century ipod thingy to somehow give nightmares or alter the brainwaves of the three men and use it, sort of weaponize it.
0: You're going to make it a psionic bomb.
1: Yeah. And Dr. B says, well, I uh, I really don't, I don't even have the technology to even try something like that. But Wari has, you know, a whole radio shack basically hanging around her neck. So they decide that it's not only feasible, but that they're going to go ahead and try it.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So now we get to the three men. They put Joppo on the rock. It all looks very much like an Isaac and Abraham situation here. And the sky turns pink, and there appears to be this enormous rip in the sky. And through it, you can see visions from the far, far future. And then the three men make a lot of gesticulation and pointing.
1: Right, and we don't know what they're saying, but they are definitely pointing to Joppo laying on a rock, yeah. pointing to the hole in the sky, leaning menacingly over him. So we we can imagine that they were not they don't have any good plans for him.
0: No well they're men.
1: Obviously.
0: So they couldn't. So in the next scene we I call this the Dr. MacGyver scene. And <laughs> this is where Doctor B tries the tries to use the quote, iPod to make the psionic bomb. And then she says it belongs to Frankie Tomato. That that's who it was registered to. Aaron seems to think that this name sounds familiar. And then they arrive at the huge tear, this last folding. And Dr. B throws the iPod at the three men. And at that point, all hell breaks loose. And we kind of end it with Dr. B sacrificing herself to rescue Wari and Joppo in contradiction to what she said earlier. And then KJ viciously attacks and kills the leader of the three men.
1: Right. It's interesting to see Dr. B, who obviously has put a lot more thought into time travel and the implications of it than the girls have. Yeah, and it's a very different approach. And she's telling them, you know, when she travels in time, she makes fissures in the fourth dimension that are like small and brief and unstable. She has no idea what's going on with all these portals that are going around. Yeah. So she also takes the ethics of time travel or what she imagines the ethics of time travel to be very seriously. So it's seriously enough that she would sacrifice herself to not let Worry be killed due to her interference. And then it is interesting to see KJ, you know, we've kind of watched her the the this trade paperback opened with her um, in a dream where she was very powerless. And we've yeah. really seen her like grow a lot to being able to take down this this caveman.
0: Yeah, it was kind a pretty... Kind of brutally. It was a pretty brutal scene. Uh, but, I mean, it just seemed like she saw what needed to be done and was going to do it. And then we cut to... Uh, the girls who are kind of running from the scene, they're rushing back to the ship. But when they get to the ship, it's already closed, and when they get there, it's about to launch. And when it takes off, it does that spirally thing where it sort of breaks into all these pieces, and the girls all get caught up in it during the liftoff phase. And then we end with Tiff in the 90s. But it's an alternate 90s timeline where Y2K actually happened, and apparently there are giant robots.
1: I remember the Y2K thing. I remember thinking a lot about it and people talking about it. And I was too young to worry about, like, a bank account, the (laughs) bank losing my money because I kept my money under a mattress at that point. But, um. I don't remember giant robots being anywhere in the possible scenarios. I feel like that's going to be interesting.
0: Yeah. This is definitely a very different timeline that she has ended up in because this is like a Mega Man Transformers, like, you know, cross robot. it's this enormous, like 150 foot tall thing just walking around.
1: But they still have
0: Applebee's and Blockbuster.
1: Right. (laughs) So another thing that's interesting is, you know, back when in the beginning of this little section we're talking about, Dr. B is, is dying. She's been stabbed in the back with a stone hatchet. She tells the girls to get to her capsule and to tell her colleagues to send the beta model. That is their only chance of repairing the damage. And then she looks up and says to them, run. And it's the exact same frame that we saw in KJ's vision.
0: And then we see when we step into Tiff being in the uh, Y2K alternate timeline, it shows her in a snowstorm. It's not the same exact scene, but it's the same setting.
1: Right. And it's unknown whether it's snow or ash because it definitely has a post-apocalyptic vibe and the Applebee's is on fire.
0: Yeah, true. So you know, that gives us some confirmation also that Tiff is, or I'm sorry, KJ rather, uh, whatever she saw was true. Yes, indeed. So that is how it ends. Outside of a burning Applebee's, that's where it all ends. Right. All the shit comes down. Right outside of a burning Applebee's.
1: (laughs) Is there a greater symbol for chaos and disunity than a burning Applebee's? No,
0: there's not. Nope. All right. Now we get to the fun part. Yeah? You get to make predictions.
1: Okay, yes. Okay. One prediction I have right off the bat is that Dr. B is grandfather's mother.
0: Ooh, that's good.
1: Because when he when they he mentions that 2016 is the year that she was born.
0: You're right. Good catch.
1: Thank you. And I think that eventually the girls are going to make their way to 2055 and meet Dr. B's colleagues or maybe even meet Dr. B herself and try to talk her out of going through with her experiment. Is
0: it 2055?
1: Yeah, I think that's when she told them to go back to. So those are the two that I have.
0: All right, so I have a couple. So my first is that the dream women are the clone from Aaron's time. Oh. And from clone Aaron's future, uh, future Aaron. Right. And that they are trying to get that baby to that rock on purpose. Mm. Uh, to bring into the future. Okay. There's something about his DNA, or maybe um, I suspect that he was supposed to die. And that because he didn't, he, like, is the butterfly effect. And he's, like, outside of predicted time or something along those lines.
1: What if he's Aaron's ancestor?
0: Could be. That thought across my mind, too.
1: Interesting.
0: Um, And so that means Jaffa is going to pop up. He's going to be somebody in a future timeline. Like, I, I racked my brain for who he would be in a future timeline, mm-hmm. but I couldn't figure out who it would be doesn't make sense for it to be gramps
2: mm-hmm.
0: it doesn't make sense for it to be heck or naldo doesn't make sense for it to be you know i can't figure out who it would be but he's going to pop up in a future timeline also my other prediction is that each of the girls is going to get sent to a different place in a different timeline since they weren't inside of the same device, they mm-hmm. got scattered through mm-hmm. time. I think what the device, the pod, is supposed to do is to ensure that everything within the pod ends up in the same timeline, yeah. in the same space. And since they were outside of it, there was nothing to contain them. They're just going to get scattered.
1: You know, I wonder if it's Doctor B's pod is has unintentional bursts of time travel energy whatever she thinks that she's creating these little like laser precision holes through time but what she's actually doing is just like punching a hole through willy-nilly well
0: somebody is yeah we yeah we clearly see that so yeah could be could be awesome exciting
1: i cannot wait for them to read the next one yeah i'm
0: very excited about that.
1: very excited
0: So we will get to read it very soon. So
1: where can people find us if they would like to comment on this book or others that we've read? So
0: you can find us on our website at thedukeandduchesspodcast.com. You can connect with us on Twitter at the DND Podcast. That's D as in David, N as in Nancy, D as in David Podcast. On Facebook at the Duke and Duchess. Also look us up on our Duke excuse me, Duke and Duchess podcast group on Facebook. And you can leave us reviews on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or Intune FM, Intune Media. And we love those. They help us get up in the search ratings and for people to find us. What we also love is your word of mouth. So if you enjoy what you read today or what you heard today from us, then tell a friend. Thank you, everybody. Good night.
2: Good night. Hello, Questers. This is Mandy, the host of Quest, inviting you to enjoy our podcast where we explore the rich and vibrant world of Patrick Rothfuss' best-selling fantasy series The Kingkiller Chronicle, soon to be adapted as a major motion picture and television show produced by the award-winning creator of Hamilton, Lin-Manuel Miranda. Hungry for more content? Perhaps you will enjoy our recaps of HBO's Game of Thrones, Over the Garden Wall, animated Batman films, or our world-famous erotic fanfiction reads. Whatever you're in the mood for, if you love a good story, humor, impromptu parody songs, and thousands of pop culture references, you'll enjoy our show. You can find Cast Request on SoundCloud, iTunes, and of course, our amazing network, the Earth Station One Network at ESOPodcast.com.